This series of Radio Rehab episodes are sponsored by Danielli's Fitness in Sonoma, California, because here at Radio Rehab, we like to support local businesses. Are you one of those? Well, Danielli definitely is. This woman has helped me take care of my mind, body, and spirit during sobriety, and I cannot thank her enough. She's located in Sonoma, but you can take Zoom classes with her whenever you want. And let me just tell you, I'm so sore right now, but in a really good way. Do it. Danielli'sFitness.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-Y-S fitness.com. Go. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes. Please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. In this radio rehab series, we will be talking to my dear friend, Polly. We're going to start off by talking about winning the Battle of the Bands on the East Coast that convinced the 12-year-old Polly that he was born to be a rock star and the drugs ensued. And wait until you hear what he told his guidance counselor because it's serious punk rock points right there. His story is very musical and that it's filled with the rock and roll lifestyle. And he's just got great references and I love this guy. And I'm so happy to share these episodes with y'all. Let's join the conversation with Polly. My dear friend, Polly, I'm so happy to have you on the show. I've always wanted to have you on the show. And, uh, you know, not just because of your sobriety, but also because of your expertise in a lot of things that affect me and affect my friends and affect um a lot of people, and we're going to get to that later on in the episode, but I would like to start by just hearing your story first, your pitch. So a recovery pitch is what you're yes. talking about, yeah. right? <laughs> well, I am a person in recovery, um, qualifier right off the bat, which is, um, and like you said, we'll get to more of it later. I feel like I'm blessed to be in recovery. It's the only thing that works for me, but I also do not feel that this is the only way almost 8 billion people in the world and um, different things work for different people, but this is the only thing that works for me and millions of others. So um, my story is it's all because my stupid band won the battle of the bands when I was in seventh grade against the high school kid. Oh. Um, I was 12 years old, you know, and we've been in Vermont, which is a small state, but we beat all the high school bands, you know? So I was convinced of two things at this point, being 12, that I was going to be a rock star. That was undeniable. And that high school senior girls should date me. <laughs> you know, neither of those things happened. You know, I just couldn't understand it. You know, I should have figured it out a little earlier. But uh, anyway, I also started doing drugs when I was 12 doing my dad and mom who are great and they addiction runs in families and alcoholism which to me is all alcohol is just another drug to me actually the really awful dangerous one prior to fentanyl if you added all the death caused by all the street drugs together it didn't equal 18 equaled 17 point something percent of the death caused by alcohol the deadliest drug but it's legal 
Yeah. So, and a plug quick, because you'll hear me do this for safe and safe consumption spaces. They have place, safe places for people to, to use the most dangerous drug, alcohol, called bars. But um, that's a little pitch I put in. It doesn't, I don't think people should judge other people for what substances they do. It's pretty yeah. screwed up. So, um, wow, that was not linear. So <laughs> that'll give you a, a okay. welcome to non-linear land. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, I started doing, my first drug was acid. Um, what happened was these college, I lived at Bennington College on the campus, which at the time was a girls college. And my dad taught there. My mom taught a little bit too. My dad was uh, ran drama and film there. And um, the college girls wanted to grow weed in the backyard. I was like this little hippie kid with long hair, you know? I hadn't even smoked weed. Um, actually, I had once, but it didn't do anything to me. So I, uh, I said, sure, you can grow it in the backyard. And they paid me by bringing me back like freeze-dried orange sunshine acid from San Francisco. So that was my first drug, you know? I remember thinking, what can this little thing do to me, you know? <laughs> I like trip for three days and, oh God. I remember staring at Electric Ladyland by Hendrix and all this different stuff. And um, I went down to tell my mom and I decided that I love my mom more than anything in the world that I needed to give the other hit to her. My parents are not druggy people, really hip people. Like, you know, they're very intellectual and like 50s New York, but not yeah. like drugs, you know? So uh, I went down and said, mama, mama, it's the answer. You gotta take the other hit and I love you more than anything in the world, it's the answer. And, and my mom said, uh, we're not gonna tell your dad about this, are we? And I was like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> and then she said, um, I kept saying it's the answer, you know? Cause to me, like that I opened these doors and I was and she said, well, what's the question? Which was brand of her, cause I went, oh. And that kept me for about eight hours, you know, <laughs> I'll get back to you. <laughs> but anyway, um, so it started, I, you know, they talk about people when they go to the guidance counselor in seventh grade, don't tell them that they want to be drug addicts. Well, I did, you know, and this is a long time ago. I ain't young no more, you know, uh, 60s. So uh, I, uh, I went in and I told them I wanted to be a drug addict rock star, probably <laughs> to die when I was 27. And the reason I said that was because I was already into rock and roll. Like I had a guitar. I didn't know how to play any music on it, but I knew how to make a lot of noise on it. <laughs> yeah, I spent, you know, then I learned a few songs. Then we won that stupid battle of the bands and just, but uh, anyway, so uh, I remember running away from home to try to go to Woodstock and hitchhike. I was 12, you know, my mom grounded me, but she bought me a Janis Joplin ticket that she didn't tell me about. So my first real concert was Janis Joplin. Oh, that's awesome. So I was a little kid and I've never forgotten it. I've forgotten so much. My memory's not good. Huh? Funny that. Um, I remember really, you know how some of us probably, some people probably identify with this. It's just the weird shit. Like I remember everything about the Simpsons or baseball statistics. And I remember Janice dropping, but I don't remember so much important stuff, you know? Anyway, um, I always used everything addictively, no matter what it was. I dropped out of school. I did one, did freshman year of high school. My family went to Europe to, to there was a university de Nouveau Monde, University of the New World in Switzerland, way up in the Alps. And my dad went over there to teach and we all went. And it folded and stranded our whole big family and these two big ass boxer dogs in the Europe, no money. And we were there for like a year and a half, you know? And so we lived in Greece and in Belgium and, you know, spent time in Paris and it was in Switzerland. And it was, um, it was an amazing experience. But when I came back, I didn't, you know, I still, I was still convinced I was going to be a rock star, 
am deeply committed to becoming a drug addict too. But um, <laughs> high school, you know, like my dad was so smart. I studied with him. He had licenses to teach seven subjects. So they gave me credit for 10th grade just from studying with him, which I did. But uh, I only made it three more weeks of high school and then was like, fuck this and dropped out. So, oh, excuse me. I didn't mean to swear. That's fine. Totally fine. Okay. I, I will try to bloody not. <laughs> um, so came back, went to three weeks, dropped out again, went to play rock and roll in this band with guys that were much older. And um, they taught me how to really play music a lot. You know, like they were like, I guess I was 15 at the time and they were 29, 30. So they gave, they had rules like playing music rules. Like if I soloed over when the singer was singing, I had to buy them all beer. If I did like all these basic, but how to play music four sets a night, you know? Yeah. And I studied everything they said. They were like, do not ever play the jukebox, kid. Some other asshole will play the jukebox. Save your money for alcohol. You got that, kid? I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Always shoot drugs. Don't snort them. You're wasting your money. You got that, kid? I was like, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You know? So they taught me how to play music and they taught me some other things too. <laughs> anyway, so um, I got into this program in New York State. Um, my, we live right on the border of New York and Vermont, so we could work that angle. Uh, for a juvenile delinquent, but it supposedly really, really talented or smart kids. I was, it was only a couple white kids. I was one. And um, so I did really well at this program and I tested well. I did a year and three weeks of high school and tested for that. did well in the SATs and got a full scholarship to any state university. So I went to Binghamton, which was the best one. So when I went to college, I had just turned 16. In fact, I turned 16 after I got there. Wow. So like, it was wild. I only had a year and three weeks of high school too, but you know, there I was. So, uh, and I was still playing in this band with these guys, you know, but I didn't, and they, all those guys to give them credit, I'm still friends with them all these many years later. Um, and they were like, you gotta go and your daddy and your mama will tell us if we pull you away, but just come play with us on the week. So I played Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights all over the Northeast. And then we'll go back to school. I had seven different majors because they kept wanting me to get up in the morning or go to school on Monday or Friday, which I couldn't <laughs> do being with my rock star career. But um, <laughs> so I, I ended up majoring in, a, in unemployment, uh, in <laughs> English late with a minor in history. I mailed it to my grandma, my diploma, because I got a full scholarship, but she sent me $500 for food and stuff and all the other money I made playing music. So I mailed it to her. I said, Grammy, I'm going to be a rock star. I'll buy a house. You keep this diploma. And then, um, I had a girlfriend at the end of it, went to New York and she was from New York, nice Jewish girl, beautiful girl, who ended up being a really high ranking person in drug treatment in New York State and New York City based on our relationship, apparently. Um, and we're still friends too. But uh, so I went to New York and um, yeah, cause she was there, which I didn't want, I just wanted to plus hang out in the mountains and play guitar and do drugs. That's all, that my big ambition for life. And I figured that the gods would find me because I thought I was so great, you know, <sighs> not true. Uh, so I went to New York and uh, yeah, I should have known. I lived there two years, but the thing was that punk rock was just starting to happen. When I got there, she had already gone down there. She lived with her parents who were both the only surviving members of their families from the concentration camps. They were not pleased to have a non-Jewish kid, especially me show up because oh. I showed up and it was like four hours from Binghamton to New York City. And so I hitchhiked with my two guitars and a little backpack. That's all I had. And uh, the rest of it, she had driven down. And I did, so I took acid to go down there yeah, because at the time I hadn't discovered harder drugs yet. So I 
And then you know, I figured it'd be four hours and plus a four hour drive and I would be down with the second car took me right to the door. It was some girl. All I remember is that I showed up without a shirt on and I, she had apparently painted lipstick stripes on my cheeks, which I didn't know were there. So I walked in, you know, and her mother, they were horrified. You know, and her mother asked me to come in the back and talk to her. And I remember her th saying, with my daughter's face and figure, she can bring me a doctor, she can bring me a lawyer. What does she bring me? You. You know, <laughs> and I, I felt so bad for her, you know? She was really upset. I was like, oh, bummer. And then I realized she was talking about me. It was, it was a really kind of shaky situation. And I got a phone, then the phone rings, and it was for me, and it was another friend of mine who had tickets for Patti Smith and the Rolling Stones in a theater called the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, which is the most beautiful theater I've ever been to, 3,000 seats painted like the Alhambra, oh, you know? Oh. So I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was so high, so I said, okay, I'm going to get a popsicle, that's it. <laughs> and so I left and hitchhiked to Atlanta and came back in a week, you know, thinking I'm so cute. Uh, that's my, my, of all my many, 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 many problems, the, thing that, the fact that I think I'm so funny is the worst one because so I, I, you know, so I show up a week later. It was an amazing concert, by the way. Um, but anyway, I show up and I said I couldn't find a popsicle. I was looking for blueberries. She was like, "Oh, I'm Brooklyn," you know. But um, anyway, she was a wonderful girl, and her parents were lovely people. Lovely people. I get it. You know, I wouldn't want my daughter to date me either. Um, but uh, so. The other thing that happened in New York was the punk rock. To me, what was punk rock to me? Because I was there when it happened, it came from England. You know, the first show that I saw was the Dead Boys. And then right at, and it was like their second show or something. It was, they were just new, but then there was a concert in Central Park with the Ramones and the Blondies, they were called. And I had a the Blondies t-shirt, which people had made themselves and were selling. And I had it until it burned in the warehouse fire a few years ago. So I was there in punk rock hit and I jumped all into that because I got to, because my girlfriend worked the door at the bottom line, which is an amazing 300 seat club. And so I saw the first police show in the US and the first pretend and all that stuff. And there was a band called Television that yeah. dominated New York, not the Ramones, not Blondie, Television dominated. Those bands open for television. But I was there when all that stuff hit and the clash and I saw the Sex Pistols in Atlanta, you know, and just amazing thing because rock and roll had become about like ario speedwagon and shit like that yeah. you know and uh <laughs> you know and so to me it was saving rock and roll and saving the world you know i still feel that way i gotta tell you though when it went west and it got hardcore and stuff like that i'm not dissing it you know amazing players amazing bands but it was a lot more about dudes and violence and uh -huh. I, you know like i got to open for talking heads on their first tour and different I was part of a different scene that I thought was about art and it really wasn't about thugs from the suburbs fucking with each other and beating up and the, you know all that. Right. That was just not my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, it still had touches of rock and roll in it, like seeing Elvis Costello, who I got to know a little bit later for a little while. But seeing all those people when they first came and they first started and you know, it was just amazing to be part of that scene. And that's where I learned how to do hard drugs was in New York. And so I'm, you know, moved on every drug that I did, I got strung out on. I did chemical and physical geographics. I went to Atlanta after New York, joined a band that did really well, actually, but we never made it big because I went off the rail because of drugs. It was a really talented band we toured all over the East, up and down the coast. And uh, it was a great time. But every time I did a drug, I would 
get totally fucked up, lose everything, take everybody around me down with me. And, uh, and, and eventually it just was too much, you know, and those people were amazing. I had to go make amends to them because we had good opportunities and I fucked them up. When I went and made the amends to them, I was terrified. They're such wonderful people because in that band in four years with everybody high like that and just every life is on fire, you know, but we only have one person missed one practice in four years, which is incredible given the condition. I mean, that's how wonderful and dedicated they were. So when I went to make amends to them, they were like, you know what? You wrote the songs and we wouldn't have been there without you. And that's all they said. I was like, I wanted to cry. I was so, and I'm still friends with them, you know? Um, that's so anyway, cool. it is cool. She's president of the Grammys now. He runs a rehearsal and recording studio. I mean, they're doing fine and they're <laughs> lovely people. You know what oh, I mean? They're doing oh, great. But yeah. I'm just talking about that was our youth, you know? Yeah. So um, I got really into Coke. That was really harsh for me because I got every, I'm just, you know, it's bad wiring. Besides, I'm so funny. I don't have like, maybe this isn't a good idea. It's yeah. just like zzz, zzz, wires cross, you know? Yes. I don't have don't say that. And I don't have don't like, don't do it all. Like there's this thing in recovery where they talk about, we will know intuitively how to do things that used to baffle us. That's not true for me. Cause I used to know exactly how to deal with everything. I figure out what amount of what drug and alcohol I needed for the given situation, multiply it by seven and do that. I had a formula, yeah. you know, but now I don't have that to lean on. I have to lean on reality and God, which I'm starting to work on really having them be interlinked. So um, I was out there a long time. I wasn't lucky to get something. Who, my thing was I wanted to die a rock star. So it was sex and drugs and rock and roll. Yep. Uh, from Coke, I, I, I lost everything and moved to San Francisco. And um, I had only done heroin a few times back east, not that much, mostly Coke and alcohol. But, but I was starting to like heroin too much, but I never got strung out, I got sick on it. Then I got here and got strung out on it. And um, I also discovered speed, because I was like, when I first got, I wanted to see a tweaker, because we didn't have them back east, you know? And then I saw somebody like taking apart a radio, wearing like a, <laughs> like a penis hat and a little like frilly thing. And uh, with like stuff stuck to his chest hair and oh, and then and he was taking maniacally taking apart a TV in the middle of market street. I thought, that must be a tweaker, you know? <laughs> it was like an anthropological expedition. Um, so I then, but I did discover speed because I accidentally stayed up for four years. Even though I hate speed, I did it because I thought I was saving money from Coke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, but I was at heroin and, uh, you know, through all my ups and downs and everything, you know, it's like, yeah, I had a set of morals and I, I want to be a person of honor and integrity. My parents both were and uh, are, well, my dad's dead now, but my parents, you know, raised us to be like that. Um, not religious. My dad was anti -religious. I got kicked out of catechism when I was really little. I told him I didn't believe him. We just learned about penguins and she was talking about the ark. And I was like, no, I don't believe you. Penguins wouldn't have survived the ark. I don't believe you. And they kicked me out and I went home and my dad said, you said you didn't believe them? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's great. Question him, kid, you're off the hook. And I said, what do you tell your mom? And he goes, oh, we'll, we'll tell her later. Uh, but uh, I didn't have a, like a religious upbringing, but I had was given a set of morals. And, you know, also my dad had maybe Dostoevsky and Malcolm X when I was 12 and 13. I had a different upbringing, but a really wonderful one. Like they taught me about right and wrong and 
never to, and like the incredible stupidity of deciding whether you like or dislike somebody because of their skin color. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I was raised with stuff and, and morals and integrity and all that goes to the wind because our addiction is bigger than any of that. Now, one thing I've learned is that I use the word addiction for me, but I don't tell other people they're an addict. That's not my job. Right. And it can be really stigmatizing to some people. I got to tell you, I've never met anybody who's been dope sick ever who has a problem with that word. But yeah. a lot of people do. Academes certainly do. But it's not my place to label somebody else as an addict. They have to say it. I'm not going to do that. But I can just say I am because every single drug I've done, I've gotten completely strung out and destroyed my life on. Crack was the last one. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much to Polly for being on this series of Radio Rehab. Stick around for the next episode when we discuss Polly's spirituality, how he came by it, and also how he got clean and sober. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us. The email is radiorehab at gotoproductions.com. That's go-to productions.com. You can also call or text 415-496-9511 even when we're not in studio and on all the socials it's at radio rehab dana d-a-y-n-a thank you for listening keep coming back